Deuteronomy chapter 6 and beginning at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Well, it's great to uh, to be able to uh, have a dedication, and it's fantastic, isn't it, when people uh, bring their children to be dedicated to the Lord. And of course, this is a, a tradition uh, that has been going on uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, Jesus' own parents, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And we can find lots of other examples of parents bringing their children to be dedicated to the Lord. Uh, Hannah brought her son uh, to the temple, Samuel, and uh, uh, handed him back to God. And uh, when we bring our children, we are following in that tradition, in that long line of people who've recognised God's gift to them in the birth of a child. And uh, this morning I thought it would be a good opportunity just to explore a little bit further uh, what we're actually doing when uh, we bring our children to the Lord. And the first thing I want to say is that when we, uh, when we bring our children to God, it's a confirmation of your love for God. It's a confirmation of your love for God. In the Baptist church, uh, we don't baptise children. We don't christen uh, children. We baptise uh, believers. And so uh, Damo and Amanda, in bringing their child, the promises uh, are promises that they make. 
they're not making promises on behalf of their child. They are promising things uh, before you and before God in the way that they will bring up their child. So it's a confirmation of the parents' love for God in bringing their child to be dedicated. Jesus uh, spoke, uh, sorry, in uh, Deuteronomy, first of all, uh, this is what uh, the writer of Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And uh, Jesus uh, himself when he was asked which is the greatest commandment in all the law and the prophets, he responded by quoting those very verses of scripture. He replied, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so when we, uh, we bring our children, we're actually following God's commandment. We're demonstrating that love of God. And of course, Jesus also said in, in John chapter 14, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. We may feel it's a little bit strange to be commanded to love somebody. Uh, we can't command parents to love their children. Uh, but most parents do. And uh, one of the ways that we demonstrate our love for God is by following the commands that God has given us. We demonstrate our love for God by following the commands. It's okay saying that we love God, um, but if we really mean it, we will live it out in our lives. Sadly, of course, uh, lots of people do claim to love God, and uh, their lives don't always demonstrate it. And uh, one of the things that we are doing this morning is recognising that love of God. So first thing is, it's a confirmation of your love for God. Then secondly, it's a clarification of God's ownership. It's a clarification of God's ownership. Again in Deuteronomy, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. It's a clarification of God's ownership on yourself but also on the child. Now, however, have you ever given your child back to God? Uh, some of you are thinking, uh, well, I'd like to give them back to God, but I didn't know that God uh, had a return policy. Uh, I didn't keep the receipts. Of course, what I'm really asking you is, have you given your children over to God? Uh, not just in a dedication service, but as they grow. There is a sense in which many parents want to control their, their children's lives, don't we? we want to, obviously, we want to do that for good. We want to point them in the right direction. Uh, but sometimes parents almost want to live their lives through their child, and they try to get their children uh, to do things that perhaps they felt they missed out on. Uh, we have to give our children over to God and trust God. And uh, we do that by recognising that a child is a gift of God. Dedicating a child acknowledges God's sovereignty, not only over the child, but also over the mother and father. All the children of the world uh, belong to God. 
and are God's creation. Genesis said, uh, you know, that we were made in the image of God. And uh, each child that is born bears something of that image of God in them. Sometimes we might find it harder to find than others when we look at a child. But each new child is a gift of God, but also made in the image of God. So, um, it's a clarification of God's ownership. We want to say that this child belongs to God. And uh, putting God first in our lives means that we hand over our children to God and we trust God. And we do that uh, with faith in God. And uh, God asks us to put him first in every area of our lives. You know, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your, with all your hearts, with all your minds, with all your souls. In every area, and that area includes our family life. God wants to be first in every single area of our lives. And uh, that's what we are doing this morning in dedicating a child. So it's a, it's a clarification of ownership. It's also a commitment to raise the child under God. It's a commitment to raise a child under God. Again in Deuteronomy it says, impress them on your children. This is God's commandments. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. These are instructions that, uh, that are written out as, as a law. Uh, is the, uh, the writer's telling us to uh, share, really, our faith with our children. Some people might think, well, isn't that the Sunday school's job? Uh, aren't they meant to, to look after our children? Aren't they the ones uh, who should uh, look after our children? Well, the thing is, uh, the answer to that, of course, is, is no. Uh, the, the Sunday school and, and, and the minister and the teachers, you know, share in that responsibility of sharing their faith. Uh, but at the end of the day, as parents, we are responsible to try and impart the faith that we have uh, upon our children. And uh, if we just leave it to Sunday school, not that Sunday school doesn't do a wonderful job, don't get me wrong here. Uh, we're, we're thankful for the Sunday school teachers and for people who, who give up their time and, and, and give up attending the service and listening to the sermon. Some of you might think that's a blessing. Uh, some of you might not though. Uh, but they do that on a weekly basis and we are ever so grateful for that facility. And I'm sure as parents, those of you that have children in school and Sunday school, you're grateful. But we can't just leave it to that uh, one hour in, in the week if we really care and want to see our children come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have to be sharing that faith with them. We have to demonstrate it. And uh, just as it says uh, in Deuteronomy, you know, we need to talk about God. Uh, We need to share our faith with God. We need to make it a natural part of our daily life. If the only time that we talk about God is on a Sunday morning... Our children are going to get pick up the idea that God isn't that important. That he's just this place we go to once a week. I go to school uh, five days a week, so that must be far more important than this place that I go to once a week. If we want our kids and our children to realise how important to God, they will look to us. I don't know if you've noticed, um, but uh, very often uh, children do in some way resemble their parents, not just in, in looks 
but also in, in habits. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we say of people, oh, he's just like his dad. Or he sounds just like his dad. Or he's acting just like, like the mum. And sometimes that's a, that's a good thing. And sometimes uh, it's not such a good thing. Um, but kids, um, it's, it's, we, they, it's not so much that they, they will learn things. They will catch things in the home. They will see how we behave, how we respond. And very often they will mimic us. Uh, surprise, surprise, uh, my daughters uh, sometimes sound just like their mother in what they say. You know, they say things that sound just like mum. And uh, sometimes they say things that sound just like dad as well. Uh, and it's not a surprise, is it? Because they've lived with us all their lives. And so they will have picked up and caught all sorts of things. Some of them good, some of them uh, not so good. But our hope and our prayer is that they will see something of God. And they will have experienced the love of God in the family as well as in the church. And so it's a commitment to raise the child under God. And of course this means, you know, sharing scripture with our children. Reading the Bible, I always like to present whenever parents come uh, and bring their child with them a Bible. Because it's, it, it's not just a, a token thing. It's to encourage the parents to read the Bible to the children. And, uh, you know, Bible reading is, is becoming less and less common as, as, as reading of any sort is becoming less and less common as, as we live in this kind of visual age. And we want to encourage parents to share, uh, you know, the Bible stories uh, with their families and, and to bring them to life. And just to make that kind of a daily part and a natural part. It's not that you have to kind of set up aside some sort of little religious spiritual moment. Uh, it should just be like a natural uh, part of our lives that we just share uh, our Christian faith and also share scriptures with our families. So that they grow up learning these things and catching this idea uh, that, uh, that, that God is real and his word is real. And it also involves praying. We need to pray with our children. You know, how many of us as, as children can remember our, our parents, you know, praying with us at bedtime. Uh, maybe some of you even said a, a prayer before you had your, your meal in our family. It just used to be on a Sunday. On a Sunday, for some reason, we used to have a have a, have a grace uh, that's kind of uh, ingrained upon my life because of the child. This is what we said, you know, uh, thank you for the food so sweet. Thank you for the birds we eat or something like that. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, we, we said that every, every, every Sunday. Perhaps, perhaps I've got that a little bit wrong, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, but it, it obviously made an impression upon me. Uh, but we want to, we want our Christian faith not to be a kind of add-on bit, just to be part of our daily routine. So we share scripture with our family and our children, and we pray for our family and children. Now, Friends, you know, there's, there's no guarantees if, if you do all these things. It's not like if you follow A, B and C, at the end of the day you will have a, a, a child that comes to faith in Jesus Christ. There's no guarantees with that. Uh, but it doesn't stop us praying for our children. And those of us that have got older children, uh, we still pray for our children. I will never stop praying for my children. Uh, and I guess you probably the same. You probably pray for your children every day. And it's a habit that we want to get into. But in the church, it's important that we pray for our children, not just on special occasions uh, like today, but we remember to pray for our children. Our children are growing up in a world that is totally different than the world that you and I grew up in. Um, 
Most of us can't imagine what that world is like. School is so different than when you and I went to school. Uh, life is so different. There's so many distractions. There's so many different things um, that, that very often pull our children away. And let's be honest. Uh, you know, the church doesn't do a great job in retaining older teenagers, do we? You only have to look around, you know. We, we, we're quite good with, with sort of children up to, to, to kind of, uh, you know, primary school age. But when, when they get to senior school, we have a real problem in retaining our children. We need to acknowledge that. We need to try and think of ways in which we can encourage, you know, parents and, uh, and, and to continue to pray for our children. We want to see our children come to faith. And statistics show, you know, that most children will come to faith before the age of 18. And so we need to kind of build that into our, our programs and our life as a church. We're giving opportunities. Some of our children have gone away on a, on a, on a Baptist weekend this weekend. And it's occasions like that when people sometimes make commitments. And we need to encourage that. Because we want to see our children come to faith in Jesus, don't we? That's what we want to see. Sometimes, you know, people say, you know, what do you want for your children? And people say, oh, I just want them to be happy. I don't want my children to be happy. I want my children to come to a faith in Jesus Christ because then I know uh, that their lives will be happier. So we need to, uh, it's a commitment to raise the child under God. To make home a place where God is talked about. I love the fact that Deuteronomy says, you know, talk about God in the home, talk about God in the streets. Don't make a song and dance about it. Just make it natural that we include God in our conversations at home and we talk about uh, Jesus um, because we've got a relationship with him. You know, the people that we're in relationship with, we talk about, don't we? You know, we talk about, my, you know, as we always, you know, people always talk about their children and, and grandchildren. You've got grandchildren, you know, how often do the people get out pictures and show pictures of their grandchildren? I'm sure, you know, the grandparents of Archie have been doing that over this last, uh, you know, six months. Because we talk about people that are important to us. And if Jesus has that number one place that scripture tells us that God and Jesus have, then we will talk about them. It will be quite natural to do so. So it's a commitment to raise the child uh, under God. And then it's a claiming of God's best for the child. Because we do want the best for our children and young people, don't we? We want what's best. And uh, I believe a relationship with God is what's best. I believe it's the best thing for our children and for our young people and for us as well to be in a relationship with the God who created us. God created us for relationships. He doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to be in relationship with him and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and with one another in the church. We were built for community. Uh, we share God's word together. We pray together. We're meant to do things together as the people of God. And this is what God created us for. Every single person here was created for a purpose. We were created individual. There's no one like you and no one like me. There's no one like Archie. Because God created us as individuals. But he created each person with the desire to come into relationship with that person. And we want the best uh, for our children and for our young people. Again in Deuteronomy it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. God wants the best for his people and in his grace, 
these things were promised to the people of Israel as they were going into this new land. God was promising that he would go with them and that he would provide for them. We want the best for our kids. But praying for them and reading the scripture doesn't guarantee that everything will work out fine. The promise is that God will be with us. If you were here last week when I was uh, preaching on the happy ending of Job, I I mentioned how people can kind of twist scripture a little bit to, to make it say things that it doesn't say. And again, we've got a verse here where it may seem that God is saying, you know, or the scripture saying, you know, if you do A, B and C, then God's going to bless you abundantly with all sorts of material things. I don't think that's what's meant here. And I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. And when we look to Jesus, we know that that isn't the case. Because Jesus lived a life, but he also suffered and he died before he was resurrected. And sometimes being a parent, anyone who's a parent knows, uh, involves an awful lot of suffering. An awful lot of pain. An awful lot of anxiety. Uh, Just to encourage you, uh, Damo and Amanda, uh, about all the good things as well. But there is, I can remember... Uh, when my children were young, uh, the other parents in the church would always constantly say to me, it'll get a lot worse <laughs> as they grow older. And I thought, and at the time you think, it can't get any worse than this, I've been kept up all night, uh, I've hardly had a, 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 an hour's sleep, but surely it can't get worse. But believe you me, it did get worse <laughs> uh, in a different way. Uh, because as they grow, of course, they get independence and they don't always do what you would like them to do. And uh, they don't always go in ways that you would want them to go. And there's a lot of pain pain in being a parent. Because you never stop loving your child. And you can't always protect your children. Uh, your children go off into the big world and they go out there. And uh, you know things happen to our children that we wish wouldn't happen to them maybe. And uh, it isn't that God doesn't care and God doesn't love us. Uh, but God promises to be with us. And uh, the promises here in Deuteronomy are, you know, this is the best way for your child to go in following God's law. But it's not a guarantee that nothing bad will ever happen to them. I can remember when we were uh, going to my brother's wedding. Uh, He was getting married in Northern Ireland. And uh, my brother-in-law, who was uh, a little bit backslidden as a Christian, said uh, it was just... You know, the troubles were, were kind of still uh, going on. And he said, I'm sticking near Richard because God won't let anything bad happen to Richard because he's a Baptist minister. And sometimes, you know, we have this idea, don't we, that God's going to protect, protect us, especially because we're Christians. The, the, the scriptures doesn't, doesn't actually promise that. Promises that he will be with us. Promises uh, that he'll never leave us. And, uh, and so that's why we want to bring up our kids and our children, knowing this God who loves and cares for them and will never be without them. And so it's a claiming of God's best uh, for the child. And, uh, you know, uh, at the Eakins meeting this last week, uh, we were talking about having messy church. And a uh, great idea, I love the idea. But it just made me think, you know, uh, if you have children in church, uh, it is messy, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but children don't always uh, keep quiet at the right moments. I mean, Archie did a fantastic job this morning, bless him. Uh, but that's not always the case, is it? Have you noticed that ch- sometimes children make a noise? Am I the only person that's that's noticed that? And sometimes it's, it's not at the right moment. Um, but you know, um, if we want to encourage 
families in the church, then we have to accept that things might get a little bit messy. You know, some of us would like would would actually quite like uh, you know a child to be like this that just does exactly what you say. You sit them down and they don't make a noise. Uh, they'll go wherever you want them to do. And, and many of us, of course, the difficulty is we grew up in a different age, didn't we? Uh, where we were given the message, you know, that children uh, were to be seen and not. You see, you all know it. That's how you grew up. And some of you uh, experience that. But, you know, church at times will get messy. Uh, if, if we have lots of children and families. And it'll get even more messier, you know, if we encourage people that don't believe in God to come in. Which is, of course, what we want to do. And so, you know... Actually, church probably should be a lot messier than it is. I know for some of you, this is this is kind of, oh, Richard, we don't want church to get messy. We want everything to be nice and orderly and neat. Uh, but if we're gonna if we're gonna have families in, which we want to encourage, that's why we're thinking about doing messy church. If we want to invite people from outside who don't know Jesus, it gets messy. It gets messy. And you know what? Um, I like the church to be a lot more messy than it is. I'll be honest with you. Thank God if church is messy. In my last church, it was uh, it was in a very different location. It was a town centre church, and I decided that I would have an open door policy, and uh, I didn't lock the front door. The first week, I got the uh, the local drug addict came into the church, and uh, and three hours later, I started to think, I wonder whether this open door policy was such a good idea. Uh, a few months later, somebody stole my car from the from the car park, and again, you start to think, "Is this is this open door policy a good idea?" You see, it's messy when we open our doors because we don't know who might come in. It's much safer to lock the doors and to keep people out. And sadly, that's what a lot of churches do. Uh, if you're wondering, I did get to the situation where I thought I'm going to have to lock the door some of the time, or else there's going to be nothing left in the church, <laughs> and uh, and, the, and I won't be very popular with the with the treasurer, but. Church is messy when we when we start to involve other people, and uh, but it's supposed to be messy. If you look at the life of Jesus, he he mixed with people that were messed up, and he tried to do something about those messed up lives. And of course, that's what we're called to do. So let's try and make the church more messy. Let's not uh, complain too loudly when maybe the children do get a, a little bit over. Uh, excited and make more noise. There'll always be those who'll say, you know, well, in my day, uh, this is what church was like. We had a lovely uh, uh, chap, some of you might even recognise the name, Herbert Wilkinson, uh, was the captain of the Boys Brigade in, in Birmingham, my first church, for a long time. And he was retired when I came. Uh, but he couldn't understand why the new captain couldn't control the children as well as he could. And he'd say, when I went into the boys' brigade, he said they would stand to attention and you could hear, you, you, you could hear a pin drop. What he didn't say is nobody would have dared move because he would have probably belted them if they hadn't moved. And he couldn't quite understand that the times had changed and that the idea of belting children was no longer a good idea. Uh, some of us were brought up in that age. You know, I was, uh, you won't believe this of me, uh, because you look at me and you'll think, what a, what a wonderful guy. But, you know, I was, I, I got the, the, the pump and the slipper and the cane and the ruler and anything else they would throw at me when I was at school, because that was the age that some of us grew up in. And there were teachers, you know, that you, you knew you weren't going to uh, disbehave, because if you did, you were going to get hurt physically. And uh, there's a sense in which it worked, but it wasn't very good. And we wouldn't want to encourage that. 
And so we have to understand, and when we see parents, you know, struggling with their children, instead of kind of tutting or, or kind of giving them a, a stare, we need to get alongside them and try and encourage them. Because we want children to be brought into the church. We want the church to be a place where, where children are more than welcome. And I delight in the noise of children. I go and preach quite regularly at one church that doesn't have any children. And they always ask me, you know, do you have children in your church? And I say, yeah, we've got, you know, we've got a few. And they say, oh, we wish we could have some children in our church. And they long for the noise of children. And there are many churches like that. So let's be thankful for all our children. And let's encourage both children and parents as they try to share their faith. And let's get alongside them when we see parents struggling. And, uh, you know, let's not kind of wag the finger and, 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 and get onto people. Let's let them get alongside them and let's encourage them. Because we want the best for our children and young people as well as for our adults. And children aren't the church of tomorrow. They're part of the church today. And we want to involve children in the life of this church. And we give thanks to God today, not just for Archie, but for all the children in this church, all the children that have come through this church, and all the children that are yet to come through this church. And we need to pray for the children. We need to pray for the Sunday school teachers. And we need to pray for our our youth workers as we all work together with families and parents in trying to bring our children to faith in Jesus Christ. So when, we, uh, when we're in this act of, uh, of dedication, it's a confirmation of our love for God. That's why we do that. It's a, it's a, it's a clarification of God's ownership. Uh, that our children belong to God and we offer them back to God. It's a commitment to raise the child under God. And it's a claiming of God's best. We want what's best for our children and for the parents and for the grandparents. Let's pray together.